0: I just finished reading your new blog post about the fear of starting, and I just wanted to say that it really resonated with me. Um, It's definitely something, an issue that I have, uh, I think, also kind of throughout my life, but especially in my hobby, and just kind of the the difficulties of being a perfectionist and, and wanting to do things right, and also feeling that if you do it wrong, it might jeopardize the whole, although, of course, not acknowledging that not doing things at all also kind of jeopardizes it and you know momentum has its own effect. Um so yeah, I just i uh, just wanted to let you know that that resonated and I would love to see that be some content and an upcoming podcast.
1: Um but otherwise yeah, hope doing well. Uh keep up the great work and um talk to you soon. Bye. This is Frank T from Middle Kingdoms Adventure and Trading Co. And you're listening to Roleplay Rescue.
2: Bring me back.
1: Give me a plus one to attack. Whoa, oh, oh, I wanna come back to the dice. Whoa, oh,
2: oh, oh, I think I need some good advice. I need a role play rescue. Oh yeah.
1: I need a roleplay rescue. Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
2: Hello, rescuers. My name is Che Webster, and this is Roleplay Rescue, the podcast about rediscovering our passion for tabletop role playing games. Thanks to Matt for the calling at the top of the show, giving me a nudge on a topic I blogged about some weeks ago the fear of starting. This episode, I aim to share that original post and then develop some answers to the problem that I was facing only a few weeks ago. But it's really something that's plagued me for the last 50 years and quite frankly well it turns out that the answers that I needed lie in a simple shift in thought it's season 12 episode 8 the fear of starting Do you ever find yourself not physically starting something but instead spending inordinate amounts of time and effort reading, researching and trying to decide where to start? If not, I envy you. It's a particular problem I have and have been struggling with again. In simple terms, this is the resistance in a pretty unsubtle form. The underlying fear, as far as I can tell, is that I will make a start and then discover that I am doing it wrong. In other words, the nagging worry is that sometime during the creative process, I will discover that my ideas don't work and I'll need to start all over again. It's easier to do nothing. My specific form of doing nothing is to do something that isn't really the thing I need to get started on, but rather to go and research for ideas. I read for books, thumb through websites, read advice, and generally completely fail to begin. As time passes, another fear rises. Am I ever going to actually do this thing? This paralysis has inflicted and colored my entire life. Weirdly, whenever I have stepped far outside my comfort zone and taken a massive risk, for example, on more than one occasion with my working career, things have catalyzed into positive outcomes. Better jobs and more rewarding results have arisen from seemingly crazy risks. But I don't take those kind of risks with my hobby, and I am curious to discover why. What internal story am I telling myself that stops me from writing that adventure, building that dungeon, or writing that personalised version of my favourite game rules? I am struggling to uncover the belief that sits behind the fear of starting the big projects of my role-playing game's hobby. And of course, the answer is to begin. All creative work risks failure. In my experience, most of my efforts to strike out into new territory present obstacles and mistakes. But mistakes are for learning from, obstacles are for overcoming, and risks are made to be taken. Sit down and begin, I tell myself. My hands feel paralysed, as if Medusa herself had made eye contact with my creative soul. Admitting the problem is, I think, part of the solution. Speaking it out loud or typing it in public... That begins the process of change. Now my conscious mind begins to seek to uncover the unconscious impediment. Perhaps, having noticed the habit, I can simply start somewhere. The challenge, as always, is simply to begin. The term resistance comes from Stephen Pressfield's The War of Art, a small paperback published in 2004 and which I probably came across sometime around 2006. This small book catalyzed me to take action in finding my next step in my working career, the path which ultimately led me to where I am today, a secondary school teacher leading my own religious education department in a British state-funded school. In 2009, the specific war of art that I was fighting was the struggle of becoming a teacher. Capital T, not just in the sense of the job I am employed to do, but in terms of the role I was destined to play in life, to teach others. I do this on the battlefields of the school classroom, but I also do this here as a podcaster and at the school D&D club as a role player. There are many other instances too, but those are the big three. As I sit here in 2023, however, I realise that the resistance has been beating the crap out of me for about 40 or so years in the struggle to become a game master. This has been my hobby. I have been an amateur and I have lost a thousand or more battles against that most pernicious force. The challenge, as always, is simply to begin. It's also to carry on to the finish. What is the resistance? Pressfield's book gives us a detailed and extensive definition, but you know what? I'm just going to grab the book and read you the section entitled "The Unlived Life." Quote, Most of us have two lives: the life we live, and the unlived life within us. Between the two stands resistance. Have you ever brought home a treadmill and let it gather dust in the attic? Ever quit a diet, a course of yoga? a meditation practice? Have you ever bailed out on a call to embark upon a spiritual practice, dedicate yourself to a humanitarian calling, commit your life to the service of others? Have you ever wanted to be a mother, a doctor, an advocate for the weak and helpless, to run for office, crusade for the planet, campaign for world peace or to preserve the environment? Late at night, have you experienced a vision of the person you might become, the work you could accomplish, the realized being you were meant to be. Are you a writer who doesn't write, a painter who doesn't paint, an entrepreneur who never starts a venture? Then you know what resistance is. Resistance is the most toxic force on the planet. It is the root of more unhappiness than poverty, disease and erectile dysfunction. To yield to resistance deforms our spirit. It stunts us and makes us less than we are and we're born to be. If you believe in God, and I do, you must declare resistance evil, for it prevents us from achieving the life God intended when he endowed each of us with our own unique genius. Genius is a Latin word. The Romans used it to denote an inner spirit, holy and inviolable, which watches over us, guiding us to our calling. A writer writes with his genius. An artist paints with hers. Everyone who creates operates from this sacramental centre. It is our soul's seat, the vessel that holds our being in potential, our star's beacon and polaris. Every sun casts a shadow, and genius's shadow is resistance. As powerful as is our soul's call to realisation, so potent are the forces of resistance arrayed against it. Resistance is faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, harder to kick than crack cocaine. We're not alone if we've been mowed down by resistance. Millions of good men and women have bitten the dust before us. And here's the biggest bitch. We don't even know what hit us. I never did. From age 24 to 32, resistance kicked my ass from east coast to west and back again 13 times, and I never even knew it existed. I looked everywhere for the enemy, and I failed to see it right in front of my face. Have you heard this story? Woman learns she has cancer, six months to live. Within days, she quits her job, resumes the dream of writing Tex-Mex songs she gave up to raise a family, or starts studying classical Greek, or moves to the inner city and devotes herself to tending babies with AIDS. Woman's friends think she's crazy. She herself has never been happier. There's a postscript. Woman's cancer goes into remission. Is that what it takes? Do we have to stare death in the face to make us stand up and confront resistance? Does resistance have to cripple and disfigure our lives before we wake up to its existence? How many of us have become drunks and drug addicts, developed tumours and neuroses, succumbed to painkillers, gossip and compulsive cell phone use, simply because we don't do that thing that our hearts, our inner genius, is calling us to do? Resistance defeats us. If tomorrow morning, by some stroke of magic, every dazed and benighted soul woke up with the power to take the first step towards pursuing his or her dreams, every shrink in the directory would be out of business. Prisons would stand empty. The alcohol and tobacco industries would collapse, along with the junk food, cosmetic surgery and infotainment businesses, not to mention pharmaceutical companies, hospitals and the medical profession from top to bottom. Domestic abuse would become extinct, as would addiction, obesity, migraine headaches, road rage and dandruff. Look in your own heart. Unless I'm crazy right now, a still small voice is piping up, telling you, as it has 10,000 times, the calling that is yours and yours alone. You know it. No one has to tell you. And unless I'm crazy, you're no closer to taking action on it than you were yesterday, or will be tomorrow. You think resistance isn't real? Resistance will bury you. You know, Hitler wanted to be an artist. At 18 he took his inheritance 700 kronen and moved to Vienna to live and study. He applied to the Academy of Fine Arts and later to the School of Architecture. Ever see one of his paintings? Neither have I. Resistance beat him. Call it overstatement, but I'll say it anyway it would was easier for Hitler to start World War II than it was for him to face a blank square of canvas. End quote. For the longest time, I have disliked the term hobby as applied to tabletop role-playing games. In fact, I've reacted negatively to the idea that they are just for fun, silly games, and a pastime too. For me, from the very beginning, RPGs were something serious, noble, precious and evocative of passion. There is art in the role-playing game session. That being said, I have also persisted as an amateur. Quote, Aspiring artists defeated by resistance share one trait. They all think like amateurs. They have not yet turned Pro. The moment an artist turns pro is as epochal as the birth of his first child. With one stroke, everything changes. I can state absolutely that the term of my life can be divided into two parts, before turning pro and after. To be clear, when I say professional, I don't mean doctors and lawyers, those of the professions. I mean the professional as an ideal, the professional in contrast to the amateur, consider the differences. The amateur plays for fun. The professional plays for keeps. To the amateur, the game is his avocation. To the pro, it's his vocation. The amateur plays part-time. The professional, full-time. The amateur is a weekend warrior. The professional is there seven days a week. The word amateur comes from the Latin root meaning to love The conventional interpretation is that the amateur pursues his calling out of love, while the pro does it for money. Not the way I see it. In my view, the amateur does not love the game enough. If he did, he would not pursue it as a sideline distinct from his real vocation. The professional loves it so much he dedicates his life to it. He commits full time. That's what I mean when I say turning pro. Resistance hates it when we turn pro. End quote. While my own life has been filled with tabletop RPGs, buying them, reading them, even running sessions with them, I have never, in truth, turned pro. I have remained the amateur because, in truth, I was afraid to show up for real. I am still very afraid. The resistance is real, strong, and fills my heart with dread. But the other day I was browsing something that I can't even remember online, and I was reminded of Stephen Pressfield's name I was reminded of The War of Art, but I also did a web search and arrived at stephenpressfield.com. That's Stephen with a V. The site has a useful tool for identifying which of his books on The Resistance might be the most appropriate. I didn't know that he had written more on the topic, by the way, so I got curious. and I downloaded and started to read Put Your Ass Where Your Heart Wants To Be. This book changed my perspective. By the end, I was convinced. The next stage in my life is to reinvent myself, not only as a teacher, but as the professional role-player. No, not in the getting-paid-to-GM sense, although I don't have any objection to such folk, but in the ideal of being a professional, someone who shows up and takes these role-playing games things seriously. For me, the next war of art is to be fought over the struggle to become a genuine tabletop role-player, a player, a game master and a designer, for that is, I believe, what a professional role player will strive to be. (music) Grand words, all that. The reality is that the resistance is kicking me all over the place, and that's why I'm talking about it here. The fear of starting remains a big challenge, but for me, the fear of turning up and doing the work every day is a problem. And to cap it all, as Pressfield tells us, the fear of finishing, of shipping the work, of submitting the manuscript, of sharing what we've created, that is the hardest challenge of all. Resistance hates folk who begin, despises those who work through the middle, and will try to kill those who seek to finish. Quote, resistance is the most toxic force on the planet, end quote. Let me illustrate by talking about the three battlefields that I'm fighting on right now. Perhaps it's foolish to fight on three fronts, if the evidence of the last world war is anything to go by, but on three fronts I am committed. Until the resistance is defeated, the professional will show up and serve their time in the field. The first project I began was the fantasy solo game that you heard me share in episode 2, Craig's Ruin. The game goes on week by week as I sit down for at least one hour on a Sunday and roll some dice. This game is for me. It's my private exploration of the realm of fantasy solo gaming. It's my education about otherworld immersion, seeking to feel my way into the kind of fantasy that I truly feel expresses my love of the genre. And it's played with D100 powered by BRP and is intended to be played until I've learned what I came to learn. Because this is an emergent solo campaign, I have no idea how long that game will take to play. The second project is the Stars Darkened science fiction game which is played on Saturday nights bi-weekly with a group of friends which Roleplay Rescue brought into my life. I promised that we would play for six sessions and then review. It's an experiment in otherworld immersive roleplaying, rules behind the GM screen in an SF setting. This one is where the resistance is fighting hardest, because this one is the one I fear the most. For that reason, this one is the project which is about learning persistence. To quote Pressfield from Put Your Ass Where Your Heart Wants To Be, Quote, Watashi don't care how you feel. All that mattered to Watashi was that you do your job, on time and to the best of your ability, whether you felt like it or not, end quote. I am the GM of that Saturday night game. It doesn't matter if I don't feel like playing tonight. I've got players expecting me to do my job and the prep needs to be done. I need to show up and play that game to the best of my ability through six sessions, as agreed. Because that's what it means to be pro. The third project is exciting me to the max. The muse is upon me, it seems, and I plug away night after night, writing for an hour per day. This project is the Dungeons of Thal powered by GURPS 3rd edition game that I'm not yet actually playing. This is the creative project. This is the hack of GURPS 3rd edition to fit my vision of a mega dungeon game. This is also me working out how to apply all the theory and experience I have been talking about for the past four years on Roleplay Rescue. But most of all, this is about me showing up every night and writing. This is the project where I am learning to commit myself to the creative design of a game. But the resistance is strong. It kicks my ass every day. And that's the war of art that I'm facing with role-playing games. And you know what? I have never felt better about my role-playing games than I do right now. Every morning I get up and begin a routine that takes me to work. I teach all day and I exhaust myself on the battlefield of the classroom. But now that I'm a pro, I come home and I begin a routine that leads me to cook, eat, pray, blog, tiny prep, and then sit down and write for an hour. The hardest part is getting my ass where my heart wants me to be in the chair, in front of my laptop, writing. Quality doesn't matter. What matters is that I sit down and write, that I serve my time, the one hour, in that chair. The project right now is Thal, that's the focus. On Saturday mornings, it's the podcast. On game day, it's the game prep. On Sundays, it's the solo game. Along the way, the tiny prep fuels each project in small ways. Maybe I add a room to the mega dungeon, or I add something to the star's darkened universe, whatever. I roll that tiny prep die when I can't do anything else, but then I get my ass in the chair and I write. I'm learning to use the Pomodoro technique when I sit in the chair. That's when you decide on a task or activity you'll work on, and then you set a timer for 25 minutes. You work without interruption for the full duration of the 25-minute Pomodoro. When the alarm sounds, you take a 5-minute break. Repeat. You can do 4 Pomodoro periods before a longer break is needed. This works because it increases the likelihood of getting into the flow state during the Pomodoro period. It also allows the mind time to rest and assimilate, combine or otherwise subconsciously deal with whatever it is you're working on. I find my mind will throw up new ideas and perspectives once I return to the task after the break. In my experience, I am more productive working in this way. As a person who easily loses track of time when the hyper-focused bit of being ADHD kicks in, it also helps me regulate time and take breaks to speak to family, eat and drink, or otherwise recover. And right now, this is the way the fight is fought. I have become a pro role player. I made that decision, and it has freed me from the bondage of 40 or more years of frustration. And tomorrow, I need to do it again. And the day after that, once again. For the fight against the resistance never ends. And so on that note I'm going to stop. The timer on my watch just sounded and it's time up for now. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. As you know, I love to hear from you, so if you've got a question or comment, then please hop over to speakpipe.com slash roleplayrescue, where you can leave anything up to a 90-second message. If you prefer, just open up your Voice memo app on your device and record what you want to say, and then email it directly to me via hello at rpgrescue.com. For now, well, I've got a whole bunch of call-ins. Take it away, Jason.
0: H.A. Jason here. Listen listened to 1204 on combat. Just want to mention that um, I was thinking, wait a minute, BX has them trying to parlay before they get into combat? And, I mean, it does. So that's, you know, they don't dive right into combat. They do get into combat pretty quick. But um, I, I do like that Mulvey has them trying to parlay with the monsters, though. I, I think it's important in examples to show that that's an option in the game. You don't just have to fight. I mean, obviously, they still end up fighting. But, I but I mean, it shows the genius of what BX is, right? BX is maybe the, the purest procedural version of d and and gives such clear examples from everything from, you know, how to run the game in a procedural manner to designing adventures to some great examples. Um, so... Yeah, no wonder the OSR are kind of built around BX, you know, as opposed to say Holmes or as opposed to say Moldvay, just because BX is so concise and clear. And I, I don't know, it's just a a, a great work. But gr- great episode on combat. Some some interesting thoughts. It, it got my mind thinking, and um, yeah, we'll we'll see where that leads me to. But thank you for all that you do and all that you keep doing. I really appreciate it.
1: What is a munchkin? Are they not people too? After leaving the hobby in the early 90s and not coming back until the mid-2000s, I never heard the terms munchkins and min-maxers. And so while I know the definitions of those words today, I don't know the origin or, you know, when they were used the most. Perhaps they were always used, and I just didn't know that because I was secluded in my bleak northern industrial town. Yeah, other ideas are, I think, the reason why we enjoyed combat as a teenager is because we were teenagers <laughs> I think that's I don't think it has anything to do with being a munchkin or a wargamer uh, I was not a wargamer I didn't even know they existed when I started playing ad or any role-playing game for that matter back in the 80s but combat was the most exciting part of the game. Even in recent editions of the Savage Worlds rulebook, it's suggested that you begin with combat because it can be the most exciting part of the game and it it has the most moving parts. So you can get acclimated with the rules very quickly because you're using a lot of them. Yeah, I think, you know, it's that idea that you that you mentioned the uh what do i do and how do i do it
2: big thanks to jason and to frank they're talking about the combat episode i don't think i've got much to add apart from you know yeah (laughs) um but actually frank did call back he wanted to comment about you know he really liked the intro to the very first episode of the season well he he called in about that too
1: don't worry about taking credit for that hook your secret's safe with me It's not me you have to worry about, it's everybody else I talk to. They may not keep your secret. I did realize that that was actually taken from the book in a later episode, because I think you mentioned it. I still think you should have taken credit, because as the saying goes, good artists copy, great artists steal. And I should know, as a recovering artist...
3: Hey Jay, it's Jonathan with Sojourners Awake. I really liked the Crags Ruin episode. Um, I I just love the old school feel. (laughs) Just uh, rescuing uh, some old ladies' chickens and cows back in some English countryside sounded pretty idyllic. Um, I think you did a good job with it and uh, establishing a connection between the characters was pretty cool too. Um, But anyway, man. Hope you continue to do it. Sounded really good and I'm glad to, I'm glad you enjoyed it. All right, take care. This is Anthony calling in from Casting Shadows and I just wanted to thank you very much for sharing your solo play of BRP. I also wanted to thank you for taking the extra time to dramatize it. As you can tell, I'm calling in from the car and you know, it's a bright sunny day. There's lots of traffic, but you have made it a much smoother sailing day and much brighter for your efforts. I'm a huge fan of BRP. I've been playing in it for a very, very long time, and it was great to hear a play session of it and how you let us in to, like, your inner life as a solo player in this instance, but also into the more collaborative space that takes place We're interacting with other people around the table because you had to tell us about your thoughts and reactions to the night So it was kind of like a play session But it was also like watching a solo session and I really enjoyed how the justification process of a success or a failure or a critical came out he missed because he lost his nerve in the face of the Bears roar or It made me wonder what? was the reason why they failed their listening check you know was that justified anyway great episode
2: jonathan and anthony thanks so much for calling in about craig's ruin continuing the general feedback i've been getting i've had a few emails as well um that this is a good thing and people would like me to do more of it and i'm trying to figure out how to do that um anthony on your question at the end there i i you got me thinking actually um and i you're right there was actually I think a real value in you know when the dice are rolled and then you sort of justify what that means in terms of the narrative right and I think in the instance of them failing their perception roles you know their their listening roles and, and what have you um I think they were just probably chatting on the track or maybe I don't know would they be hmm he is right isn't he? he's kind of quite curious but anyway just really appreciate the calls and you got me thinking you know does this need to be something i do more episodes of so that's it another episode done even though the resistance is burning inside of me not to publish hopefully i will massive thanks to matt jason frank jonathan and anthony for calling in today Please keep comments and questions coming. It's speakpipe.com slash roleplay rescue. Thanks also to the Roleplay Rescue Torchbearers, Shieldbearers, and Sword Bearers, the patrons who support the show through patreon.com slash RPG Rescue. Thanks to John from Tell the Manticore for all the show music, and a big thanks to you too for listening. I hope you found this episode useful. My name is Che Webster, this is RolePlay Rescue. I'll see you again next time. Game on.